Okay, um, welcome to uh, lesson number eight. And um, trying to get to mine, there we go. Welcome to uh, lesson number eight uh, in the Hebrew Roots class. And this class is on concepts of Messiah. And so if you have the notes in front of you, there's a little thing that says he lives. So uh, we start this one by me singing an old hymn. Okay, which is familiar to, to me, very familiar. I grew up singing the hymns, but there's a point to this. So I'm going to sing the chorus, a pretty famous song. It's, uh, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. <clears throat> so the point of that is, um, that's a wonderful chorus. And it says, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Well, that was kind of a testimony that I grew up with. We knew that we knew. Um, the Bible was true, and he lives within my heart. And I think in a lot of ways, that's a real blessing to the Lord, that we believe like that, and that we've created thousands of songs about uh, Yeshua, and about salvation, and about all those things. I think that's a delight to him. Um, and so, um, what we're going to talk about today is the second half of two anchors and in other words the he lives song talks about he lives within my heart and i hope that you all have that same testimony that yeshua hamashiach jesus christ lives within your heart and that you know he does because he gives you joy uh he is uh, a friend he's your savior he's the living god and that you know that he is inside of you there's nothing better than that um, but in these difficult times that are not going to get easier, um, we have a second anchor and that second anchor is the word of God. And so the written word is given to us to give us confidence, to, uh, give us opportunity to search his treasures, um, to know that we know that, uh, Yahweh is real, that he's our creator, Yeshua is his son and the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Um, gives us gifts that he's uh, alive and well inside of us. So um, this week is, uh, and, and really the last, the, the whole class is about um, knowing from scripture, uh, knowing the word uh, that he has revealed to us and knowing the kingdom story that is uh, so clear and uh, so plain and certain. So uh, this is more evidence of that side of things. This second anchor um, that we know that we know. And uh, his Bible is really awesome. And the more we dig, um, the more truth there is. So we've talked about a prophet like unto Moses um, in the Deuteronomy 18 passage two other times in this lesson so far. So we're not going to do it again, but this is where it officially is supposed to be discussed. And we talk about how um, Yeshua uh, had a life that was like Moses. He was a prophet like unto Moses. 
Well, one of the great things uh, about having a 2,000-year-old Word of God is that we can look back and we can compare the life of Moses to the life of Yeshua, and we can see that the things that happened to Yeshua were things that happened to Moses. So uh, in Deuteronomy 18, where it talks about a prophet like unto Moses, it really means it. His life was like Moses' life. And we also are going to look at uh, the dual concepts of Messiah, uh, Joseph the suffering servant, uh, and how his life matches up uh, with Yeshua. And then David, as Yeshua is going to come back as David the warrior king, what might we look to so that we might have some clues about what uh, Yeshua is going to come back like? And if you study the life of David, that should give you a greater understanding of how he's going to come back. So we're going to talk about three major people today in Scripture. Um, and if we've got more time, we're going to go through the, the whole left behind uh, idea. So uh, the three main characters in the Old Testament that are archetypes of Yeshua are Joseph, Moses, and David. So if you study these guys, um, there's just great assurance uh, of who Yeshua is and that he is the Messiah because his life is laid out in their lives. So Joseph, um, some see as a prophet. Uh, Moses, definitely um, a mediator um, uh, and a priest. And then you have David as king. So you see people in the Bible with um, different assignments as prophet, priest, or king. And some of them have combinations of, of uh, one or two. David probably had it more than any but right up there with uh, Moses also, who had dual roles. But Yeshua is the prophet, priest, and king that stands alone. So you have all three of these lives that, uh, that represent him. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through um, uh, a list of events in Moses' life that also were reflected in Yeshua's life. So you can look this up on YouTube. I chose the top 30, in my opinion, of ways that Moses' life reflected Yeshua's life, or vice versa. Um, there's many more than that, depending on how far you want to stretch. And we're going to do the same thing for Joseph. Um, so let's go through these things together. And uh, looking forward to it. It's pretty cool to see all these things in Scripture if you haven't seen this before. So number one, Pharaoh uh, tried to kill Moses as a baby, and that is Exodus 1.22. And interestingly enough, King Herod tried to kill baby Yeshua, um, Matthew 2.16, and they both did it uh, the same way. They both tried to kill all of the babies two years old and under. And so um, interesting that those both, both of those things come together. So I'm going to read these out. We're going to stop and discuss some of them and maybe go to scripture with a few of these. Moses was hidden from evil Pharaoh, uh, Exodus 2.2, and uh, an angel said to hide Yeshua from the evil King Herod, Matthew 2.13. Um, Matthew was sent into Egypt to preserve his life. Um, Moses was, excuse me. Moses was sent into Egypt to preserve his life, uh, Exodus 2.3 and 4. Yeshua taken into Egypt to preserve his life, also in that Matthew 2 passage. 
Moses' daughter adopted Moses. Joseph adopted Yeshua. Both were adopted. Isn't that interesting? Um, Moses became a prince of Egypt, and, the, and Yeshua is the prince of peace, and there's lots of scripture there to cover that. Um, Moses and Yeshua both had a long period of silence from childhood to adulthood. And obviously, there's no verses to talk about that because they're silent. Uh, so um, Moses went from being a prince to a pauper, and Yeshua went from being God to man. Uh, so a similar experience of uh, extreme humility. Um, Moses met his bride at a well, Exodus 2, 15 to 19, and Yeshua met his bride at a well, John chapter 4. So in lesson two, we talked about that, that Yeshua um, was at the uh, well with a Samaritan woman, and he, she was the first person that he declared that he was uh, the Messiah to, and he declared his identity. And uh, if you go back to lesson number two, you'll see that um, she is the bride. We are his bride, and so was the Samaritan woman in a very special way, and that was part of his um, assignment uh, when he came here to earth the first time. Moses' mission, number 10, Moses' mission was to redeem Israel from slavery to Egypt, and Yeshua's mission uh, is to redeem mankind from slavery to sin. It's a pretty obvious one. Uh, Moses read out the Yah's law given on Mount Sinai, and Yeshua defended and taught the Torah, chapters 5 through 9, and James 4.12 says Yeshua was the lawgiver. And so I'm going to suggest to you another teaching, and it's by Rico Cortez, and it's called the Memra. And um, he talks about um, the Memra being in a variety of different places in the Old Testament. And uh, so Memra is uh, actually Aramaic term. And so if you go to John chapter 1, verse 1, uh, the word inside that verse you know we know that as word in english we know it as logos uh in uh, greek uh, but in aramaic it's memra and interestingly enough if you go back to several places in the old testament including mount sinai that same term memra is used and so uh the aramaic connects the memra of mount sinai to the memra of john 1 1. It's actually a very significant teaching, and I would encourage you to uh, read that um, or listen to that teaching by Rico Cortez called the Memra, M-E-M-R-A. It's very good. Um, okay, Moses, number uh, 12. Moses spent 40 days fasting on the mountain, uh, Exodus 34, 28. Yeshua spent 40 days fasting in the desert. Matthew 4, 2. Uh, and in a really good moment for Moses, as far as I'm concerned, he offered his life for the salvation of his people after the sin of the golden calf, Exodus 32, 31. He says, take me, Lord, take my life. And Yeshua offered his life for the salvation of the world. And uh, that's exactly what happened. So um, that's through uh, 13. Mo Yahweh brought bread to the people. Um, through Moses, and Yeshua said, he is the bread of life, John 6, 32 to 35. 
so all these things, if you take the time to go through all of them, I'm not going to do all of them, but he is, uh, it's really a wonderful, wonderful Bible study uh, to see the comparison and to just lock in your faith that you can just read about it. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention a couple more. Moses and Yeshua both had righteous anger. Moses broke the, the stone tablets, Yeshua at the temple, and Moses washed the feet of his leaders. We actually just read that on our last Shabbat. Yeshua washed the feet of his disciples. Um, and the death of Moses and Yeshua were both necessary for people to enter into the promised land. And so um, John 12, 24, uh, let's go to that. So John 12, 24, uh, let's start with 23. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep, keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So the giving of his life is actually 23, not 24. I'm going to change that. And... Um, Uh, Moses and Yeshua both blessed the people. Um, and just a, a whole list. And I, and I will leave the, the rest of those to you. So it's a good study. Please please do that at, at your own uh, leisure. And uh, it's a good one-hour kind of a Bible study. So that's the ways that uh, Yeshua's life was like Moses. Uh, and it's said that it would be in Deuteronomy 18. And I want to go to page 30 where they're, I've taken some excerpts out of a book, and, um, and, and there's a, a, a whole section that talks about uh, the Jewish tradition of actually understanding that there were two concepts of Messiah. Uh, one of them was Mashiach um, ben David, and the other one was Mashiach ben Joseph, or son of Joseph and son of David. So there were two different ideas, and they seem to be mutually exclusive. How do you have a suffering servant who dies for the sins of the world and also have a warrior king? Doesn't really work, okay? So um, it actually makes a, a ton of sense that he would come down uh, two different times, and he would come uh, in uh, different forms uh, you know, or different roles, let's put it that way, uh, which is actually one of the ways that Moses and Yeshua also were alike. Moses went up and down the mountain several times, okay? So he went up to get close to heaven, and Yeshua went, has been up and down to heaven, okay, also. So um, there's already uh, a concept of Messiah uh, being two different roles um, in Jewish thought. Uh, but the basic thought of the majority of Jews is that he's coming as uh, the warrior king, as David the warrior king, and that the, um, the land would come back into possession and he would rule uh, with an iron scepter and, and all of that. But it's uh, actually for people who, who are studying uh, Judaism and the, deeply in Jewish tradition, that concept is already there. 
So I'm going to read a couple of things about that that you've got in front of you. Um, when Jews typically think of the Messiah, this is paragraph two, they generally have in mind Mashiach ben David of the tribe of Judah, who shall rule in the Messianic age. Mashiach ben Joseph is said to be the tribe of, uh, of the tribe of Ephraim and is also sometimes called Mashiach ben Ephraim. Mashiach ben Yosef came, will come first before the advent of Mashiach ben David to prepare the world for the coming of the kingdom of Yahweh. He will fight God's wars, so this is David, against Edom, collectively understood as the enemies of Israel, in a time preceding the fulfillment of the Messianic kingdom. So um, they already know this for those that are deep studiers in, in Judaism. Um, and it's interesting, uh, they also say that Mashiach ben Joseph will be killed during the war against, in, against evil. And uh, that was true. He was killed against the war against evil. And he came back to life. And that is described uh, in Zechariah 12.10, according to their, uh, their studies. Um, so uh, that's Mashiach ben Joseph. And we're going to talk about the ways that, uh, that Joseph uh, is like Yeshua's um, life. Uh, and it's similar list to what we have with Moses. And then there's a, an, another um, author, John Parsons, who says, uh, does the Tanakh give evidence of two messiahs or just one? Is it possible that the portrayal of the messiah as riding a donkey lowly and humble and the portrayal as one coming in great triumph in the clouds refer to the same person? Could it be that one messiah would come twice, first as Ben Yosef to atone for the sins of Israel, and the nations, and the second has been David to bring judgment upon the unjust and to restore the kingdom back to Israel. Well, that's, of course, what we think and we believe, and it's nice to see that that has seeds in uh, some ancient Jewish literature. Uh, so read that paragraph separately in, in your notes, and um, I think it's, it's helpful, helpful to know that. So Joseph uh, foreshadows Yeshua, Yeshua's coming as the suffering servant. So if you uh, want to have your Bibles open to this, uh, you can, and it's going to be Genesis 37 and following. So all these things that happen to Joseph are, of course, in Genesis 37 to Genesis 50. Uh, and then you're going to have corresponding New Testament verses um, that, that meet that. So um, let's start with uh, the first one. And actually, um, the first thing I want to say is that, uh, you sh that uh, Joseph was sent by his father, okay? And so that's actually uh, a key phrase in Jewish thought. Um, when you talk about the Messiah or the anointed one, uh, an equivalent term in Judaism is the sent one. And so that's a, a key, kind of a ding, ding, ding. Hey, that's now you're talking about the Messiah, the sent one. So when Jacob sends Joseph to go to his uh, brothers, um, that's, uh, a, that's, a, that's a sign, okay? That's a sign uh, that, uh, that he's the anointed one. So uh, number one, Joseph was a shepherd, Genesis 37.2. Yeshua is the great shepherd. John chapter 10. Uh, Joseph was opposed to and exposed evil, 37 two. Yeshua did the same. 
Joseph was loved by his father. He was especially loved, and we know that. He gave him the coat of many colors. Yeshua was beloved by the father. Joseph was hated by his brothers, and Yeshua was hated by his uh, fellow brothers who uh, were the religious of the day, the ones that really hated him uh, because he exposed uh, who they were. Joseph um, was hated for his words. Yeshua were, was hated for his words of truth. Uh, number seven, Joseph was envied by his brothers. Yeshua was envied by his brothers. Um, and there's the scent. Joseph was sent by his father to his brothers. Yeshua was sent by his father to the lost sheep of Israel uh, and to his, his brothers, Judah. Um, and so it goes through and we see a, a very similar kind of list that Moses had. And so this gives us great hope and assurance that we can see the prophetic nature of these lists and see this life stand out and um, some of the joy of having a Bible gateway and computers is to be able to look at these comparisons a little easier um, and a couple of these things uh, more that uh, I think are pretty cool. Joseph was stripped of his coat. Yeshua was stripped of his coat. Um, Joseph was cast into a pit. Yeshua was thrown into a grave. That's probably the biggest one there. Joseph was taken out alive, and Yeshua was bodily resurrected from the tomb. Uh, Joseph is sold for the price of, of a slave, and Yeshua was sold for 30 pieces of silver, a slave price. Judah suggested the idea of selling his brother. And interestingly enough, the Greek name for Judah is Judas. So you've got that... Uh, uh, comparison. Joseph's blood-sprinkled uh, coat is presented to his father, and Yeshua is our scapegoat, and his blood was presented to his father as a sin offering. Joseph becomes a servant. Yeshua becomes a servant. Um, Joseph the servant was made a blessing to others, and Yeshua was a blessing to the world, because Joseph, when he got rose up to the second in command, which is the exact same place that Yeshua got, rose up, was able to uh, save the world uh, through preparing for a famine and providing food and a safe haven uh, for the coming people of Israel. Um, Joseph's master was pleased with him. The father was pleased with what Yeshua did. That's number 21. And Joseph was tempted and did not sin. If you remember the story of Potiphar and Potiphar's wife, Potiphar's wife was tempting him, and he actually did the right thing and said no, as well as Yeshua did. And so he was uh, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, and he did not sin. So both were falsely accused, which is one of the hardest things to do as a human being, is to go through uh, false accusation. Joseph attempted no defense, and Yeshua gave no defense, no defense at his trials. Um, Joseph uh, suffered severely, the innocent one, and Yeshua suffered by crucifixion. He run, won the respect of a jailer, uh, Joseph did, and Yeshua won the respect of the centurion standing at the cross. That's a subtle one, but I think it's a cool one. Um, Joseph changed his prison clothes for clothes of glory, as did Yeshua. So, 
Joseph was 17 when he went into prison. Uh, 13 years uh, he was in prison, wrongly ac accused. And he started his ministry at age 30, officially, as, as uh, second in command. He ministered in prison. Um, and so they also have that same thing in common. Both of them were 30 years old when they started their, uh, their ministry. Um, Joseph became a savior to all peoples, as Yeshua is a savior to all peoples. And Joseph made provision for his brethren while they were in a strange land, as Yahweh promised to provide for the 12 tribes while they are scattered. So uh, it's a good list. Uh, again, um, make that a, a Bible study sometime. Go through it in detail. And it's just really cool to see that the, uh, that the Bible um, is prophetically true. And typically, you just look for things that were promised in the Old Testament and fulfillments in the New, typically maybe by Yeshua, et cetera. But to see the fulfillments in people's lives uh, is really great, and that doesn't always get talked about. So you have uh, Moses and you have Joseph uh, as archetypes. Uh, and now what we're going to do is we're going to try to set up uh, Yeshua's second coming, uh, by looking at scripture and looking what happened in the life of David. So we're going to go to um, a chapter we've gone to before. It's an important one, and that is Ezekiel 37, 22 to 25. So this is the prophecy before uh, uh, we, we're headed for the millennium here, and it hasn't happened yet And uh, because they're not one nation, and Yeshua hasn't come back yet. They're not one shepherd. But here's what it says. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them, and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. See lesson number two. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any of their offenses, for I will save them from all their sinful backsliding, and I will cleanse them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David will be king over them. So Ezekiel was uh, well after David. So you have to remember that David's already passed away. And so that in Ezekiel chapter 37, it says, my servant David will be king over them. So that means that Yeshua, okay, is in a role of David, David the warrior king, uh, because this isn't literally David, it's just from the line of David and the attributes of David. And they will have one shepherd, Interestingly enough, as we all come back under uh, Yeshua into the land, it says they will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land that I gave my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. So that is our future. That's our hope. Uh, that's not just a Jewish thing. That's anybody who is a follower of uh, Yeshua HaMashiach and the uh, Yahweh and the Bible. Um, we're going to be there when Yeshua comes back and leads us uh, in the land. So here's some more specific verses uh, that talk about David the warrior king in the future. So here's what to look for when you're doing your own research. Isaiah 11, 6 to 14. In that day, the root of Jesse that's how it starts. So number one, in that day, we've already talked about that in this uh, lesson series, in that day, uh, 
very often, almost always, talks about the second coming of Yeshua, the in that day line. And it's certainly true when you see in that day the root of Jesse. So the root of Jesse is not only David, but the root of Jesse is Yeshua because he's in that line. In that day, the root of Jesse, so we're talking about the second coming, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to claim, reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, Elam, Babylonia, Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean Sea. All over, in other words. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exile of Israel, exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So you can see how there's two separate comments there. It's the, the, the exiled of Israel on all the rest of the people who haven't come back from Judah. So it's two distinct groups of people will come back together um, under his scepter. And it says, Ephraim's jealousy will vanish and Judah's enemies will be destroyed. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, nor Judah hostile toward Ephraim. So unity is what's coming. They will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west. Okay, that's the Gaza Strip. Together they will plunder the people to the east. They will subdue Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites will be subject to them. So that's over in the area of Jordan right now. And the capital of Jordan is Ammon. And that's where you get Ammonites, Ammon, Ammon, Jordan. It's an easy way to remember that. So... Uh, that's a discussion about what we'll be doing. Uh, will we be this end times army? And it says here that we who are gathered from the four quarters will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia. Together they will plunder the people to the east. They will subdue Edom and Moab. So it sounds like we're going to be a part of what he's going to do. And I look forward to that. Um, and I, I look forward to uh, the strength and the, uh, if he's going to require me to do something beyond my uh, physical capabilities right now, he'll provide. He'll be that provision for us. Uh, Amos 9, 11 through 15. Here's another in that day. In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be so that they may possess the rem remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares Yahweh, who will do these things. So it says there that this is Yahweh's doing, okay, that will do these things. He may use us to accomplish that, but they're, they're his doings. And David's fallen shelter, um, that's the house of Israel and the house of um, Judah. So they need to be restored and brought back together. Uh, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them. So it looks like uh, we have an agricultural future and a rebuilding kind of a future ahead of us. Um, and then it says in Zechariah, continuing in this uh, same theme, a day of Yahweh is coming. So there's another author and another 
prophet saying it as well. Jerusalem, when all your possessions will be plundered and divided up within your very walls, I will gather up the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then Yahweh, interesting that it uses Yahweh's term, the, his name there, will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a, on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley. So I want to stop there for a second. And uh, to me, uh, the, the last great indicator that Yeshua is coming is that Israel is invaded. According to Zechariah 14, he's coming back to intervene and to give proof that he's an 11th hour God, it's, it's 11.59 and 59 seconds, okay? Jerusalem is half taken, uh, and it's being plundered, and it's just awful. And, you know, I'm assuming if we're here watching all this, uh, we're going to be holding our breath, and we're going, well, we know Yeshua is coming, and it's time. And so we'll all be um, gathered together. Uh, on that day that very well may be uh, the uh, Feast of Trumpets, and uh, we'll be blowing our shofars to help him come back. So at the top of 33 is where we are in the notes, and we're reading this Zechariah 14 passage. And it says, Then Yahweh my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. Huh. So on the day of his return all his holy ones with him. You know, um, talk about an obvious verse that tells you that there's no pre-trib rapture as described by the church, okay? So it's very plain right here. Yeshua, who is the physical representation of Yahweh, is coming to earth and all the holy ones with him. Well, that's us. That's the saints, okay? We're gonna be with him in Jerusalem. And it looks to me like we're gonna be used to uh, during the battle, uh, I remember uh, hearing uh, for the first time uh, God's end times uh, army, and uh, I remember being bothered by that. I didn't really feel like being a part of that. This was many years ago. This is uh, 20 years ago, and the Lord took me to a bookstore, and I uh, I didn't want to hear about the end times army that I just heard about that day and that previous night it just it hit me a couple times and he turned me around uh on greenwood there's a bookstore by third street and i walked in there and i went to the religious section and i looked through all these books i had never been in there before and finally i put my hand on a book by smith wigglesworth and it was called uh god's end times army by smith wigglesworth and preparation for god's end times army and uh, the Lord spoke to me very directly. And since then, it's like, okay, I'm part of his end times army. And I, I better get that settled in my heart and my mind. And better be settled that I'm glad to be there. And that's a blessed place to be. So uh, it seems very clear to me that we will be used. And, uh, and we'll be used as part of his, his army. Um, and we'll see what that looks like if we're given new bodies already and, and, uh, and knowledge. That will be a great help. So, um, 
it talks about what's going to happen on that day. It will be a unique day, a day known only to Yahweh with no distinction, distinction between day and night. When evening comes, there will be light on that. Um, when evening comes, there will be light. That's strange. On that day, living water will flow out of Jerusalem, half of it east to, to the Dead Sea and half to the west of the Mediterranean Sea in summer and in winter. Yahweh will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Yahweh and his name, the only name. The, on, the whole land from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem, will become like the Arabah. And then it talks about uh, Jerusalem finally being secure. And then it says in verse 12, this is the plague with which Yahweh will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. On that day, people will be stricken by Yahweh with great panic. They will seize each other by the hand and attack one another. Judah too will fight at Jerusalem. The wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected. Great quantities of gold and silver and clothing. A similar plague will strike the horses and mules, uh, the camels and donkeys, and all the animals in those camps. So keep in mind, we're talking about David, the warrior king, and what's going to happen upon his return. And we've seen what happened with Joseph, uh, the suffering servant. Now, what does it look like for Yeshua to come back as David, the warrior king? So we're going to go to Isaiah 4. Uh, there's several more references here about uh, Yeshua's role. As David, in that day, the branch of Yahweh will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. So we'll be known as survivors because there's going to be a lot of pain, a lot of death, and we'll be survivors. Those who are left in Zion will remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy, all, those, uh, all who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. The Lord will wash away the filth of, of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. So you heard me talk about Yeshua's coming with a sword and with fire. Well, here's the description right here. As David the warrior king, um, you know, relook at the context of these things. Go back, read it. But he's coming with judgment and fire, okay? Then Yahweh will create, will create over all of Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day um, and a glow of flaming fire by night. Isn't that cool? We're going to see the same things that they did in the wilderness. We're going to see that the, the flame uh, and the cloud. Uh, it's going to be great um, of smoke. It will be a shelter and shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and hiding place from the storm and rain. Isaiah 9, 7. Of the greatness of his kingdom and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of Yahweh Almighty will accomplish this. We don't even know how wonderful that's going to be. We're so used to the corruption in Washington. We just think it's an everyday occurrence, and it is, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. But uh, to actually be uh, ruled by uh, Yahweh and have Yeshua, the prince, uh, be here with us and to not have uh, any uh, Satan, any of his demons on the planet, 
for a thousand years will be far beyond what we know. It's going to be really, really great. It's going to be fantastic. Jeremiah 23, 5, the days are coming. There's another phrase, declares Yahweh, that I will raise up David, a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. So, wow, that is wonderful. Uh, we're going to have leaders that, um, a leader, that will do the right thing. That is great. Jeremiah 34, the days are coming again when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. So he's saying it again, different chapter, different person, same message. Uh, in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it is called Yahweh, our righteous savior. So Hosea 3.5 um, also chimes in on this. It says, afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek Yahweh, their God, and David, their king. So Hosea knew this too. And as he wrote in about 800 BC, they will come trembling to Yahweh and to his blessings in the last days. So we're already living those last days. And I, I believe you can actually call the days that we live in the last days uh, until he comes and renews all things. So there's just lots of references to David coming back. Revelation 5.5, 5, uh, then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So we await the righteous one, the Messiah, the Mashiach, the anointed one, uh, Yeshua, our king. It's going to be great. Zechariah 6.12, tell him this is what Yahweh Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch, and he will branch out from this place and he and, and build the temple of Yahweh. So it's very clear that Yeshua is going to be building the temple. Now, uh, I don't think that we're going to even get close to, to uh, building the temple before Yeshua gets that done. Um, you know, we may have an altar of sacrifice there or something like that. We know that's already built. Word is it's in Jericho, which is about 15 minutes away, 15 miles away from Jerusalem. And so uh, we'll see whether uh, we need to have uh, those sacrifices started again. Um, there's different ways of looking at that. So one of the things I want you to do is to uh, kind of expand what you might be thinking about um, Yeshua and that it would include the life of David. And so we already look back on Joseph. We compare it to the details of Jesus' life, Yeshua's life. We did the same thing with Moses. So we have the, the hindsight there, uh, which is 2020. We can see all these different details, like Moses got on a donkey and rode this donkey in a kind of a strange story. And uh, it's cool that it was there because Yeshua also uh, rode a donkey. And so that matched up, maybe for that very reason. So I want to extend our thinking to think that uh, let's study the life of David that we might be able to be so familiar with the life of David that we're going to know, we're going to be able to see how Yeshua comes back. 
so that those who are in the light, sons of the light, will know what's going on. So I'm going to read that uh, Thessalonians passage to you real quick, and I'm just going to suggest that by studying the life of David, uh, this is one of the ways uh, which we may be the sons of light. So here's what it says. So if you're looking at Thessalonians and you're in the New Testament, it's in the five books of T's, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus, and they're alphabetical. So it's easy way to remember it. So First Thessalonians, Thessalonians five, it says, uh, let's go to four seventeen. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll be with the Lord forever. Okay. So a lot of times you'll see in the modern church, the modern church interpretation of that is we're going up, staying up, but it doesn't say where we go afterwards. And in fact, you go to Zechariah 14 and it says, Yeshua is coming down and all his holy ones with him. So that's where we go, uh, I believe, from when we do meet him in the air. And so um, I think we're going to meet him and that's how we're gathering. And then we'll come down to, Jerusalem and take care of business. Uh, so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So now it's First Thessalonians 5. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will, will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. And that's usually where the sermon ends. But then the next verse says, but you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are the sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. So, and then it gives some really good encouragement. If you want encouragement about how to feel emotionally, spiritually, uh, right before he's coming, boy, read 1 Thessalonians 5. Be alert, be self-control, be at peace, be encouragers, do your business, and, uh, and all will be well. So I just want to say that one of the ways that we can be sons of light that I think people don't think of all the time is if we already have the patterns of Joseph and Moses, and we're told that he's going to come back like David, we don't have that final picture um, of because Yeshua hasn't come yet. So we don't know all the details of his actions that will be just like David's. But here's what we do know, okay? If we study the life of David, we're going to be familiar with how Yeshua comes back. Uh, so how might that be? Okay, so one of the things was that David was a highly successful warrior. Uh, he just didn't lose much at all. Uh, the Lord was with him. He was um, a, a great tactician, uh, won all the battles, and he was very victorious. So we can, I think, absolutely say that that's the main, one of the main pictures of Yeshua as he returns. He's going to be the warrior king. Um, the second thing that we can say is that David was a worshiper. He was an extravagant worshiper. He brought together the tabernacle and had some 4,000 singers and uh, players of instruments. And I think that Yeshua is going to be 
an elegant, elaborate uh, worshiper. And so uh, I look forward to that. It's going to be really great to come into the presence of Yeshua and come into this throng that are worshiping and singing. And I remember going to a, a, a big a big meeting where there was 2,000 people and everybody was just singing Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. And this was just a couple of years ago. It was in an unexpected place uh, that I was visiting, uh, some healing rooms in, in uh, California, and they were all singing Yahweh. And it was amazing. It was very, very uplifting. I can't wait to, to just be there with him, um, worshiping elaborately like David did. So what else do we know about David's life? David killed Goliath. And so uh, you can take a couple of things from that. You can take that and uh, study that out and say, okay, how might Yeshua uh, be one that um, kills a Goliath? First of all, Goliath uh, was a Nephilim. He was a giant. And the different clans that were in Israel at the time, uh, Hittites, Perizzites, Kenizzites, uh, all the all the ites, uh, these were Nephilim clans. So is it, as example, uh, part of the role of Yeshua is to come back, come back and purge all of the Nephilim, the last vestige of the Nephilim to be gone off the earth? Uh, that actually makes a lot of sense to me. Um, there's lots of records of giants, um, in the last thousand years, there's bones been dug up all over of people 20 feet and, and, uh, and taller. And so, uh, that may be, uh, one of his roles is that he would extinguish, extinguish all of the, the Nephilim line. So I want you to, uh, try to encourage you with, uh, the Goliath idea that how else um, might we see uh, a David as fulfilled in, in Yeshua? And part of, part of that is that we'll recognize the Messiah. Uh, I, I think it's for his people that are studying out his word and studying his, you know, participating in the feasts and keeping his Sabbath and, uh, you know, in the word every day, we're not going to miss his second coming. I think it's going to be very obvious to us. But it may be tricky for those who are not used to a, a Hebrew God coming back, a Hebrew Yeshua. So this may, so the more we get to know the word, the more we get to know the life of David, the more we're going to recognize him. We're going to see him coming back and go, wow, this is David the warrior king. And uh, that's going to give us just another component of recognition for, uh, for him coming back. Does that make sense? Okay. So um, that's uh, Joseph, and that's Moses, and that's uh, David. And we have time today for, uh, to go through the Left Behind series. So we're going to go to page 34. And so if you have any toes that have not been stepped on in these last seven weeks, um, they're going to get stepped on right here, okay? So we're going to talk about a sacred cow. I grew up, once saved, always saved, pre-trib rapture, you know? That was just anybody who was an evangelical back in the day in the last 62 years. Uh, and so many denominations uh, are that. There are 
churches that actually will not let you be a member unless you sign on, sign on to a pre-trib rapture doctrine. True story of a church in our, in Bend. So um, here's some evidence to go through the story because one of the things that we know in, in Hebrew roots, if you look at patterns, uh, that keeps us on the straight and narrow. And if we look at uh, what he's shown in the past, again, using that Isaiah 46.10, he says, I'm going to show you uh, the end from the beginning. Okay, so if we go to the beginning and are faithful to that, we get a chance to get to know what he's going to do. So um, this progression of thought, of logic, uh, is right here on page 34. I hope you have that in front of you. I hope you kind of get this memorized so that you're not uh, uncertain on how to, how to present this. So let's go to this, top of page 34, or Matthew 24, uh, 37 to 42. So this is Yeshua on himself about the end of days. And he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the blood, flood, People were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. So one of the things you could just say right there is that if you're following a pattern, what did the flood take away? The flood took away the bad people, right? Okay, so as it was in the days of Noah, Who's going to get taken away when Yeshua comes back again? The bad people. Okay? So, uh, and then it says, the next verse, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding on with a hand mill, one will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Well, in context of what I just said about the days of Noah, that's really all you need to know. The bad people were taken away. And so if you're, if you're reading uh, the Left Behind series uh, and all the books and all the movies, they have it exactly opposite of what the Bible says, okay? Uh, they're saying the good people will be taken away, but the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, the bad people are taken away. And then it gives the example, the example of the Left Behind series of one person's taken away, the other person's remain. Well, now we're gonna keep going in scripture to cement this concept with more certainty to all of us. So who are we talking about and who gets taken where? So I think it's already clear, but we're gonna make it more clear. Matthew 13, 30. So Yeshua is saying in the same book, he's, he's uh, giving a uh, parable and he says, um, let both grow together until the harvest. So he's talking about the wheats and the tares. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first to collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. So the idea is, if uh, the Matthew 24 passage is talking about collecting the tares and taking them out, the Matthew 13 passage clarifies, first collect the weeds. Okay, that's the bad guys, right? That's the tares. So it's the tares that are going to be collected first. Uh, and so he goes on to say in Matthew 13, 36 to 42, then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, 
The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. It's pretty clear. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. Okay? So the tares or the weeds get pulled out. The wheat remains. Why? Because Yeshua is going to be coming here to the world, to the earth. So, and we're with him for eternity. We don't leave his side. So we're, we're staying here with him. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Luke 17, 34 to 37. It's another repeat of this story where it really gets clear. So listen to this. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. So he's responding directly to the question, where are they being taken? The ones who are being taken away are being taken to the bad place where the vultures are, not the good place. So I just read to you 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 6, and I'll just repeat the bold, but you brothers and sisters are in, not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all children of the light and children of the day. We, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So let's be not like others who are asleep. So we're going to say passive in the pew waiting for something that is not going to happen like they think it's going to happen. So the conclusion is the wheat remains and the wheat are pulled out first. We are the wheat. The Left Behind series has it exactly opposite of what the Bible says about who gets left behind. In addition, our cyclical God of patterns and of character we can count on takes us through the difficult events. Noah and the flood, the plagues in Egypt, the exodus through the Red Sea, Joseph and the years of famine, Daniel and the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the idea that he's going to have a prepared bride, but you're not going to go through the greatest refinement in history uh, just doesn't make sense. It doesn't, uh, it's not like the rest of the stories in, in the scripture. It's not the character of Yahweh. And so uh, we need to be here to be a refined bride and to also help others come into the kingdom. We have a role to play. So uh, it really doesn't say that we're yanked out of here at all. And to give you a little more background, uh, tribulation, okay, is a process uh, that is used through a farm implement. And the farm implement is called a tribulum, okay? So if you look up what a tribulum looks like, it looks like a washboard. And, the, and it's got nails on it. And you drag the wheat through. And as the wheat is dragged through, um, the, it separates the wheat and the chaff. So you don't have separation without going through tribulation, okay? Or the use of a farm implement called a tribulum. So uh, <laughs> there is no separation without going through it. Um, any comments about that?
Okay. Um, that's, uh, that's today's concepts uh, of the Messiah. Next week, we're going to talk more about the end times, which we're living out even today uh, with this pandemic and um, uh, locusts in other uh, continents and uh, crazy stuff going on in the world and our government trying to uh, treat us like cattle. So uh, we're going to talk about that on Thursday. And that'll be the conclusion to our, our Hebrew Roots class. Thank you guys uh, for coming again for this hour today. And um, do take the time to go back and cement these things in your mind. That left behind concept, you need to have that etched in your mind so that you can just share with people. I have it written down in my Bible that here's the next passage you go through. Here's the next passage you go through. Because once you do that and you say, look, set aside what you've been shown. Um, you know, in the Left Behind series, either book or movie, and let's see what the Word of God says. Let's, let's not try to read into it, but let's just read what the Bible says and look at the pattern so that we know Yeshua's coming back like Noah. Okay, so there's two judgments, one by water, one by fire. So he's coming back with a couple of different roles, David the warrior king, and then also he's coming back as a Noah kind of a judgment. And that's by his own words, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be. And you also then look at um, the, the archetype of Joshua. Joshua came uh, to lead the Israelites back into the promised land. And so um, it was a conquering of the land to come in and peacefully take it and live. And Yeshua is going to do the same thing. So there's lots of patterns. Lots of truth to look at that uh, it's going to be cyclical. So uh, blessings on everybody, and we will see you on Thursday. Is it Thursday or Wednesday? It is Thursday. Oh, okay. Thursday, 2 o'clock, same, okay. um, same meeting number, same. Um, Glad I asked. Yeah, same password. Okay. Okay, thanks, you guys. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. Bye-bye. You. Yeah, You're still there? Uh, hold on. Okay.